Well, it's good to see your smiling faces. Man, there's a good crowd here this morning. You're looking good. Turn the person beside you and say, he's preaching good already. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Praise God. Well, this morning, if you saw it online or if you are here last night, this morning I want to talk to you. Uh, and the title of the message is simple. It's just Our Father. And, uh, you know, Luke 11, verse 1, we talked a couple weeks ago as we started off this season of prayer. It says, now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And uh, we need the Lord. We need to go to him and ask, Lord, teach us to pray as well. We need God to teach us to pray. Amen? How many know we need to learn how to pray? Right? Um, So Jesus' response was simple. You find it in two places in Scripture. Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter 6. You find Jesus' response. And this is what he said. And I'm going to read it from uh, uh, the verse in Matthew because it's, it's the one we tend to quote most in the Protestant church. I don't know why, but in the Catholic church, they like the Luke one. Leaves off the last line. Uh, but we're going to go for Matthew here this morning. Matthew 6, 8. And it says, <clears throat> in this manner, pray. Or when you pray, this is what to say. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Now, like I said, I don't know why in the Catholic Church they they leave off the last line. They always go for the Luke version instead of the Matthew version. But there's an extra in there. I'm going to take it. You know what I'm saying? If the the word's got something extra, I'm going to take it. So I'm going to take that right there. Um, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I don't really believe Jesus was giving the prayer as something to be recited every day. Now, if you're just starting in your Christian journey, you know, reciting the Lord's Prayer is a good place to start in your prayer life. You can do that. Nothing wrong with that. You're, you're praying the scripture back to the Lord. But I don't believe that Jesus meant for the disciples after he just came from a time of prayer where he'd been with the Lord for who knows how long, because Jesus would go for long periods of time and talk to the Lord, that all Jesus did when he got together with the Lord was repeat the Lord's prayer over and over again. I mean, I I highly doubt that. So when he came back and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, I don't think he was saying when you pray, just say this prayer. But I believe he was giving them a model of prayer. He was giving them a prayer. A structure for prayer, uh, uh, an example of what to include in prayer when you come into the presence of the Lord. And so as we grow in Christ, you know, we may start by just reciting the Lord's Prayer, as we used to do in school every day at the beginning of the day, or when we opened businesses, uh, uh, meetings at our city councils and all the rest of it. There was nothing wrong with just reciting the Lord's Prayer in those environments. Everybody was familiar with it. Everybody knew it. But if all we ever spoke was the Lord's Prayer and we just recited it over and over again, two things happen. First of all, it becomes almost meaningless. Have you ever never found yourself saying something over and over again to the point where you don't know what it means anymore, right? And so it loses its impact. It loses its impetus, if you will. The uh, second problem is that if you just say the prayer over and over again, I think you miss the overall message that Jesus was trying to get to his disciples. What he was actually trying to teach them about prayer. 
So today, I'm going to, over the next few weeks, I'm going to break down the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at it and say, what was Jesus actually teaching his disciples concerning prayer? And so this morning, we're not going to get any further than the first two words, that first line, our Father, our Father. That's what we're going to look at. So the first thing I want you to understand from that statement is this, God is my Father. Say that with me this morning. God is my Father. You know, this is one of the most fascinating studies you can do in Scripture is to do a study of all the names of God. Anybody ever done that before? There are literally dozens of names of God, declarations of God in Scripture. I'm going to read for you just a few of them that are in the Old Testament here this morning. The, uh, the, the number one one is uh, Yahweh. And uh, in the Hebrew tradition, they drop the vowels out and it becomes... They call it the unspeakable name of God. It was not always so, but it became that tradition in prayer. And today, if you, you know, uh, are in a, were in a Jewish synagogue, they would not speak that name. It's the, the name that God spoke from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses said, who should I say is sending me? And this is the name that he gave. He said, it basically means I am that I am. This is who is sending you. I am the most, uh, I am the God, the only God, the one. This is what the name is. But there are so many others in Scripture. There is the name El Shaddai, means Lord God Almighty. There's Adonai, which means Master. There is Jehovah Nisi, and you'll see a few of these. These are called compound names. Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord, my banner. Jehovah Raha, which means the Lord, my shepherd. The Jeho- Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shema, the Lord, he is here, Right? There is the Lord uh, Jehovah Tzidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. And then there is uh, El, which is a singular uh, name for God and is made up of those compound names. But there's also Elohim, which is plural. And if you look in Genesis uh, at the creation story, the word that's used when it says and, and that God spoke and the worlds were created, the word is Elohim. And, uh, and that's not a singular word. It's, and that's why the Bible says also in Scripture that, that God spoke and the Spirit hovered over. You can see the Trinity at place and at work uh, in the creation of the world. Each of these names is significant in one way or another. And they describe an aspect of the nature of God. They give us revelation into his being. And they're a fantastic revelation. They're great. And they're, the study is awesome. However, everybody say However. Each of these names of God, as wonderful as they are, are names that were describing God under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. If you fast forward to the New Testament and you go to Jesus, you go to Jesus, you know, and and you look at, at the words of Jesus when he spoke to God or when he referenced God, right? What words did Jesus use? You know, why is this important? I think... I think that you would agree with me that nobody had a greater revelation of the of God than Jesus. I mean, uh, nobody has a greater understanding of the nature of the divine than Jesus. Would you agree with that this morning? Amen. So, what did? How did Jesus address God? Well, we know that Jesus separated himself from the disciples often, and we read about it in Scripture. And he prayed, but we don't really get to see what he prayed in most of those situations. But in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, we see Jesus at the lowest point in his life. This is Jesus knowing that he's about to go to the cross, knowing that he's about to be called upon to sacrifice himself for the sins of humanity, knowing that he's about to do that, taking upon himself the weight of the entire 
sin of the world. Can you imagine what that's like? Do you know how you feel when you've done something really rotten? I know you've never done anything like that in your life, but when you work with me here, you've done something really rotten and you know how bad you feel? Can you imagine having all of that feeling, all of that negativity, all of that weight of the entire world and all of their sin dropped upon you, you and your shoulders at one moment and one time? That's what happened to Jesus. The weight of the sin of the world was placed upon him and he became a sacrifice for us all. That's mind-boggling when you think about it. So it's in that place where, where Jesus is at that greatest moment of anguish that we look and we, we, we're going to get a picture into how Jesus prayed at that moment. In Mark 14, 36, it says this. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. How did he address God, the creator of the universe, in that heaviest moment? He said, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word, means father. It's like he said, Father, Father. But it, it means father, but it's, it means it in the most intimate way. If, if we were to have a translation of Abba into English, it would be daddy. So here's Jesus at the heaviest moment of his entire human existence. He's in the garden and he goes to the Lord in prayer and he gets down and he says, daddy, daddy, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Daddy. And you'll find when you see that Abba in Scripture, it's always followed by Father. And I wondered why that was, because it literally is kind of like the same word. But the word in Greek is pater. And why do they put Abba, which is Aramaic, and then follow it with, in a direct translation, Aramaic, and then follow it with the word pater? And, and I found out it's because for the Jews, that word Abba became such a profound and thoroughly sacred word of prayer as, as the most intimate way of expressing it that they felt they needed to put another translation of its meaning after it, but because it had become such a, an intimate experience and expression. That's why you always see Abba, Father. It's, it's Daddy, my Father. That's how Jesus addressed God at the darkest point in his life. And I think there's something for us to learn here this morning. When Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray, he said, when you come to the Lord in prayer, come to Abba. Come to the Father. Come to the one who is, is your dad. Come to him when you come in prayer. Start your prayer off acknowledging that he is your father. Amen? He's your father. What's that tell me? God's my father means I'm not an orphan. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and as he prayed, to address him as father. And on the surface, that seems like such an audacious thing for Jesus to tell his disciples. I mean, we can understand Jesus saying our father, because father, son, and Holy Spirit. But he's telling the disciples that when you go to God and pray, you address him the same way. You address him the exact same way. You address him as your father. Your father. What, call, what qualifies you and me to address the creator of the universe as our father? What have I ever done to deserve to be able to come into the creator of the universe's presence and call him father? The short answer to that question is you didn't do anything. And if you're suffering from the delusion that 
you've earned that right somehow with something you've done, come and talk to me afterwards. You're suffering from some kind of a Messiah complex. We're going to cast that out. We're going to get you delivered from that. Because the reality is nobody here deserves to be able to call him father. We call him father because Jesus paved the way for us. And, and Jesus knew what he was doing when he was going to the cross. And so even before he went there, how did he teach the disciples to pray? He taught them to pray in the same manner he did, in the same manner that he was providing for them, which was to go to him and say, our father. And so when we pray, we're able to call him father. We're able to call him daddy. We're able to live and go to him as children of God and not as orphans because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 16. Paul wrote this. He said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, there it is again, Abba, Father. The spirit of self bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Wow. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Beautiful. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, here it is again, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Blessed be the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us to, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You see a theme here? In each of these passages, Paul is saying you've been adopted into the family of God, and because of that, you can call him daddy, just like Jesus. You can call him Abba, Father, just like Jesus. He's quoting the exact same words from Jesus and Mark. You can do that too. I mean, the Bible is very specific in the words it uses. And here's Paul very specifically saying that we have been adopted into the family of God. You are no longer an orphan. You are a son, a daughter of God. No matter how alone you felt, no matter how alienated with God you, you feel, no matter how unworthy you uh, believe you are, no matter what religion has taught you in the past, you are adopted into the family of God and you can come to him and say, Daddy, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what's going on in my life today. So when you come to God in prayer, you don't come as an outsider. Everybody say no. No outsider. You don't come to God as an outsider. You don't come as a guest of the house. You don't even come to God as a friend. Even though the Bible, and this I know upsets people when I talk about this, but it's true. I know you're a friend of God, but you're more. You're family. Right? And I've explained this before. My wife is my best friend, but I've never introduced her to anybody. And this is my, my, my friend Sherry. Right? No, this is my wife Sherry. 
because our relationship as husband and wife supersedes our friendship. So even though you're a friend of God, I'm not taking that away from you. Uh, and Israel Houghton wrote a wonderful song about that, and it's great. But even though you're a friend of God, you are much more, you are a son, you are a daughter of God. And that relationship, that family relationship is deeper and more powerful than friendship. So when you come to God, you don't even come as a friend. You come as a son or a daughter into his presence. That is who you are. That is who you are. So, what is the byproduct of coming to God as father, recognizing that I've been adopted into the family and I'm a son. So what is the, what is the byproduct of that? My goodness, leave me alone. <laughs> well, it changes the way you pray. When you recognize that you are a son of God, that he is your father, that you've been adopted into the family of the Lord, then you recognize that prayer now gives me access to the privileges of family. Right? We don't come to a God who's disinterested in my life, who, you know, the old watchmaker theory, God created everything, wound it all up, and then just lets it go. You know? Uh, if, if that's what you think, that's not Christianity. Right? Uh, that's not how, how it operates. No, no, no. God wants to be intimately involved in your life. He wants a relationship with you. He, you are his son. You are his daughter. He wants to take this journey together with you. And he's inviting you to come into his presence, to sit around the family table and to make decisions that change the world. Are you hearing me this morning? That's the invitation that God has given each of us. The Bible uses very specific words to describe this relationship we have with God. And, and they teach us that being adopted into the divine family gives us access to things that we would not have otherwise. That, in fact, the Bible in, in most of these passages uh, uh, it goes on to say that if you're adopted as a son, then you're also an heir with Christ. An heir. You're an heir with him. That means that you get to inherit all of the things that are there in the heart of God for his children. And so I'm going to say, well, you know, but you know, how do you become an heir? Doesn't somebody have to die in order for you to become an heir? Yes, somebody did die, Jesus. So when he died, he paved the way for you to inherit the promises of God. Amen? Hallelujah. And this is a, a staggering revelation. As C.S. Lewis once said, he said that the, the, the sad thing is that most Christians do not, he said, uh, ask too much of God. They ask too little. He said that the promises of God are so great. They're so audacious that most people can't comprehend just how mighty and how great they are. And he said, so we end up, and this, I love this analogy. He said, we end up being satisfied like a little kid playing in a mud puddle in downtown England because he has no concept of what a day at the beach was like. And we're content, like that kid playing in the mud puddle, uh, we're content with so little because we don't realize that he's actually given us an invitation to go to the beach. Do you know what I'm saying? 
And so what Jesus has provided for us and what we have now as heirs in Christ is so much more than most of us ever take advantage of. We've been invited to go to the beach. We've been invited to to live at the beach house with the master and to every day sit at his table and be with him. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 17 says it this way. And if children, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so whenever you suffer persecution, whenever anything happens like that, just say, it's all right. It's all right. I got this because I'm an heir of God. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Amen. It's an incredible truth. You and I are a child of God, but we are a joint heir with Christ. We are a joint heir with all, him for all the promises of God. All the promises of God to me are yes and amen, if I believe. So when we come to God in prayer, and we come to him as a child, an adopted child, God considers us to be his family. And, and, you know, and as a family member, we get to sit with him in the most intimate environment and that the all-knowing, all-powerful creator has called us into his divine family and we get to be a part of that. That's amazing. And even before his death and resurrection, before Jesus had even shed his blood to erase our sin guilt and restore us to relationship with the Father, listen to how he taught the disciples to approach God. All right, so... Uh, following up from the Lord's Prayer, this is how he taught the disciples to approach God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to them who asked him. And the same thing is basically recorded in Luke as well. His instructions there are real simple, people. As a joint heir with Christ, he says, ask, seek, knock. Right? Many times, the reason you're you're where you are and you're not experiencing what God has for you is because, as the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. Ask. And when you ask, don't say, God, you know, if you're not too busy, you know, if, you, if you're over being angry with me for last week, if you, you know, would see it in your, you know, heart to help a poor sinner like me, blah, 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 blah. You know how we, we try to somehow demean our own nature so that we could grovel in his presence? He doesn't teach us to pray that way. Yes, sometimes he tells us to be tenacious, like the man who came over and, and not because he was his friend that he'd get up in the middle of the night and give him what he wanted, but because of his importunity. In other words, because he wouldn't leave him alone. It's kind of like, you know, your kid comes to you and they know that mom and dad is the source of everything, right? So they come to you and they're like, Mo, please, please, daddy, come on. Please, 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 please. We don't want this. And, and they're not begging because they, they, they have to get past uh, a nature that doesn't love them. No, no, they're, they're, they're insistent because of how badly they want something. You see the difference? So when we come to God, we don't grovel because we, we think we need to somehow be more humble in order and grovel in his presence to be worthy of getting it. No, no, no. We're insistent because we really want it. There's a huge difference. Right? And so when we come to God, the Bible says, ask. 
The Bible says seek. The Bible says knock. Because if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be opened. So the instruction is simple. The comparison is incredibly relevant too. He said, if your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Right? If your son asked for a fish, would you give him a scorpion or a serpent? Do you see the comparison? And, and, and he's, he's saying to us, you know, w- w- is that something you would do? No, you wouldn't do that. You, you'd give them what they asked for. I mean, as far as I know, I think everybody in here feeds your kids, right? Yeah. I don't see any of them fading away, disappearing from sight. You know, you clothe them. You know, none of them came in here this morning naked and freezing. You know what I'm saying? You, you do these things, right? You take care of them. And the comparison is there for us to help us understand God does the same thing for us. Right? And then his conclusion is clear. He says, if you being evil, what does he mean by that? So in other words, if you, somebody who is tainted by sin, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more, everybody say more. more. How much more will our heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? (laughs) Why do we make it so complicated? Religion makes it complicated. Jesus makes it simple. Jesus makes it relevant. Jesus makes it clear. So if you're confused, it's not Jesus' fault. It's religion's fault. You've got to peel away all of the confusion and you've got to get down to what Jesus actually said and what Jesus actually taught us. So let me conclude this morning. Say, wow, he's done already? Come on, you can say that. But also, what does it mean when the pastor says in conclusion? Absolutely nothing, right? So, but no, this time it does. This time it does. It does, it does mean something. <laughs> it is true that God's our Father. And that God, the Scripture says, He knows what we have need of, even before we ask. So prayer, I hear this this morning. So we're going to get practical here. So prayer becomes less about having to tell him what you need or want and more about coming to him in the right spirit of faith. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means we need to change how we pray. Because if we're going to pray in faith, we need to understand that the nature of faith means to come praying as a son, praying as a daughter. It means that that's what ultimately praying in faith is. It's, a, it's, it's about coming to God, recognizing who I am. I am a son or a daughter of the Lord. And so I can come to him and I can ask anything. Why? Because I'm family. That's why. And faith is about acknowledging where I am in the pecking order, if you will. I'm right up at the top. He loves me. And, and one of my favorite people in scripture is John. You know, because how does John describe himself in Scripture? It's hilarious. Does anybody know? The disciple who Jesus loved. (laughs) Like, come on, isn't that the most incredible, audacious description? I mean, what about the other 11? Were they just chump? You know, John says, yeah, because I'm the one that he loves. Could I submit to you this morning, you should all feel that way. You, You know there are days I say, Lord, I understand my wife's a wonderful person, but I know who is your favorite. 
You know what I mean? Uh, the reality is I come to God with that kind of a, of a spirit and an attitude that I know I'm loved by him. And that, that he loves me. And I come to him not just as some kind of a broken down, you know, dirty scum. I come to him recognizing I've been lifted up because of Jesus. And I am his son. I'm his beloved son. And I can actually have the audacity to say, I know you love Mark, but I know you love me more. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and that's how it feels. It's, it's not that Mark could say the same thing, I'm sure. He's getting a hold of it. He knows how much God loves him. But do you get the picture? That's what John was communicating to us. He was saying, I'm the one he loves. I understand how much he loves me. And when you understand how much he loves you, that's how it feels. It feels like you are the center of his universe. You're the most important person to him. That's how it feels. And if you don't feel that way with God, then you're not getting a revelation of the nature of what Jesus provided for you. The Bible says you're a joint heir with Christ. In other words, he feels the same way about you that he does even about Jesus. That you've been brought into his presence right there with Christ. And that and that all of the things that Jesus is entitled to as an heir, you're entitled to as an heir. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling, for sure. So it means we need to stop coming to God as a beggar. We need to come to him as family. It's time to come to him as blood-purchased, adopted sons and daughters and heirs with Christ, because that's who the Bible says that we are. It's time we start praying as a family member. Can I just say, one of the things I'd encourage you to do is when you eat dinner at your home, just, just, just a simple little parental teaching point here right now. When you eat dinner, don't have the TV on. Don't have any phones at the table. Don't have any tablets on because the table is a teaching place. It's a, it's a listening place. It's a community place. And so when you get around the table... This is one of the greatest opportunities you have in the whole day to impart something of your nature into your children, right? So make those times sacred times. And I know, I mean, kids are are fussy eaters and you're, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not even going to get into all of that this morning. That's not the point. And I realize they have attention spans that are about this long sometimes, right? But what you need to do is you need to make that time a focus and start when they're really young. You're pulling them up to the table in the high chair and, and it makes it almost impossible for you to get a meal in uh, and, and to eat even for five minutes. I, I get it. Been there, done that. But, but, you know, persevere because in the end, I mean, some of the best conversations we ever had with our kids came around the dinner table. That's when they asked us about politics. That's when they asked us about, you know, what we believed about this or what we believed about that. That's when we talked about their day. It's when they talked about the things that happened at school. All of that kind of stuff, it all happens around the dinner table. And it doesn't happen if you got the TV playing instead. So that's just for free this morning. I'm just going to put that out to you. And the reason I use that analogy is because when we come to God, he's invited us to his table and there's no TV on There's no distraction. We have the Father's full attention. So when we get into his presence and we're seated around that table, the Father there around that table begins to impart to us the plans that he has for taking over the world. Right? Like pinky in the brain, right? What are we going to do today? Well, we're going to take over the world, right? And, And could I submit to you that one of the reasons the Church of Jesus Christ 
has become weak and has become anemic in our culture and society is because we don't spend enough time around the table hearing God's heart and his plans for taking over the world. So we end up living way below our potential because we haven't spent that time around the table with him, hearing about his plans, and read the scripture. Go to the end, Revelation. He has plans for taking over the world. He does. What is earth after all? It's a colony of heaven. Right? That's what it is. And we were placed here, and this is us. The Bible says the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to sons of men. It's ours. So take care of it, steward it, but exercise authority in this dominion because it's yours. And listen to God. Hear him and implement his strategies for here on earth. And if the church will do that, if we'll spend more time around the table with him, with all the distractions turned off, he'll speak to us about his plans for taking over the world. That's pretty exciting to me. That's the invitation. I got all that out of two words, our Father. Not bad, eh? It's pretty good. Pretty good. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty good stuff. <laughs> our Father. When you come into, the prayer, in, into your time of prayer, I don't care whether you do it in the morning, I don't care if you do it at night, if you do it in the middle of the day, or if you do it in your daily commute to work, although if you're doing it in your commute to work, keep your eyes open. Uh, that's important. That's important. Just saying. Especially if you're not a passenger and you're the driver. Keep your eyes open. All right? But wherever that, that time is that you give to the Lord, try to rule out as many distractions as possible and recognize that you come into his presence as an adopted son or daughter, that you're family. And you are coming into his presence and you get to sit down and, and make sure that you include in your times of prayer time to listen. Because we spend so much time talking, we forget that he gave us two ears and one mouth. So just as I was talking about earlier, even in prayer, try to listen twice as much as you talk. I spend a lot of time just listening. I'll sit at my desk and I just listen. And when I listen, then the keyboard flies faster afterwards. But I listen because I want to hear what God has to say to me. Spend time listening to him. Hear his heart for you. Get a hold of how much he loves you and come out of that place and do the things and implement the things that he tells you in secret. Amen? Does that make sense? So what I want you to do right now as we close, we're going to stand together. And I want to pray for every person here this morning that, the, that this would not be just mere words today, but you'd get a revelation of who you are. Well, of whose you are. You belong to God. You are his son. You are his daughter. And any other identity that you have has to flow out of that. The real reason our world is so confused today is because they don't get that first part. They don't know whose they are, so they're confused about who they are. Right? But if you get the first part down, you know whose you are. You're not confused about who you are. Does that make sense? So today in his presence, recognize, acknowledge. He created you purposefully. He made you the way you are. You are his son. You're his daughter. He loves you. He's inviting you into his presence today. And don't come as a 
a hired hand. Don't come as a servant. Don't come as somebody waiting on the table. Come as somebody who's sitting at the table. And let God share with you around that table the things that he wants to share with you. So just put your hands out like this today. Heavenly Father, these are your children. I pray that each one of them would come away with that same revelation that John had. That they'd be able to go in their time of prayer and say, I thank you, Father, that I'm the disciple that you love. That, Lord, those words wouldn't roll off of our lips as tongue-in-cheek or as something that, that, you know, that's okay for somebody else to say, but I can't really say it. But no, no, no. That we would be able to say it recognizing that that is how deeply you love us. That, Lord, you love us in such a way that it feels like I'm the only person in the room, in the world that's on your heart. That's how much you love me. And, Father, from that place, I pray, from that place of sonship, of, of daughterhood, from that place of being in your presence as, a, as a, one adopted, chosen by you and brought into the family, from that place I pray, from that place I listen, I hear what it is that's on your heart, and I'm able to do and speak and declare, and Father, it comes to pass because this is what you told me to do. And Father, I pray that God, you would Give us that revelation that, Father, we would begin our prayer time acknowledging you as Father, me as a beloved child, and a joint heir of all the promises of God. And that, Father, I would stand on that, and I would live from that, and I would operate from that, and that together with my Heavenly Father, we would change the world. Father, we thank you for that grace and that revelation today, and we receive from you the adoption as your son or your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll go on to the rest, some of the rest of the prayer next week. <laughs> but the Lord bless you. Have an amazing week. We're so glad that you're here. If you would like prayer, we, we would be more than happy to pray with you. If you'd like something you have us to pray about, please come forward. We'd love to do that. God bless you and have an amazing week in him.